Welcome to the That's A Wrap podcast, the show where we, me and Matty P, wrap up the latest films that we've seen. I'm Joe Downey. And I'm your co-host, Matt Parkinson. The date of recording today is the 11th of March and the time of recording is 2.21pm. Uh, for the latest updates, remember to follow our Instagram pages at TAW Podcast. That is TAW Podcast. If you ever want to suggest films and topics for us to talk about, our DMs will be available over there. You can check out our Facebook page if you type up That's A Wrap Podcast or once again TAW Podcast and make sure to give it a like and a share as it really helps out the show. When it comes to listening, we're available on all major DSPs such as Spotify, Anchor, Breaker, Google Podcasts, Pocket Cast, Radio Public, Overcast and Apple Music. So make sure to give a follow and download on those platforms and leave you a review where available as it really helps out the show. If you'd like to keep up to date with the latest films that we're watching both in and outside of the podcast, you can check out our letterbox pages at Joe Film User and Clappy P. The opening and closing jingles that you hear on today's show are by Philip Buster. Please check out his SoundCloud at soundcloud.com forward slash Philip Buster underscore official. That is soundcloud.com forward slash Philip Buster underscore official. That's my uh, ASMR one for today. Um, yeah, them's the vibes. Wonderful. How you doing? I'm doing well, thank you. How, how are you doing? I'm good, I'm tired, but I, I, I was in the middle of that. I was like, oh, I'm not doing too bad. And then that happened like straight, straight as I was thinking it. So I was like... Yeah. It wouldn't be an intro without a stutter step, but you know. um, I'm also a bit not tired exactly, but like I've been trying to wake up earlier during the day, and I'm trying yeah. to start a routine of doing like six thirty, seven thirty each morning. So just you know, life be lifing. You know, we, we, we've been busy. Our anthem: life be life. <laughs> yeah, life be lifing. Before we started recording today, guys, I, we, I found out that uh, it's been a month to on the day since we recorded the. Funny Games Virginia Wolf episode. So hopefully we don't see you the 11th of each month. But, you know, with life being a thing, you may get us in little pockets here. We, we don't want to set that expectation because it's too high. Yeah. <laughs> we can't I mean, do it. Consistency is not our theme. <laughs> no, but, but yeah. we, we've done all right. But, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, um, what, any... Have you seen anything this month? <laughs> I haven't. <laughs> yeah, so there's there's a few films I've seen uh, recently. So um, yesterday, for example, no, not yesterday, the day before yesterday, I All watched. All our troubles seem so far away. Yep, <laughs> I watched. Yeah, uh, okay, continue. I finally watched another round for the first time. Oh and yes! Oh, I'm so I, happy. Because <laughs> no, because I was pitching it to my parents for a while, and I don't think they were too bothered about it. And because it's it's on Sky, so you can just watch it. And mm. I thought I'd watch it while they're away for the week. So and I loved it. I thought it was absolutely fantastic. Uh, I really, really enjoyed it. It's yeah. equal nice. parts kind of feel good and also feel bad and also like Mads Mikkelsen. I think he could have gotten a Best Actor nomination. I think. Oh, and it wouldn't have been out of yeah. place. Yeah, he was really good. Yeah, I like that the, the image of most people being home alone is the Tom Cruise risky business across the hallway thing. For you, it's <laughs> Watching a Danish film. Round. Putting on a Danish <laughs> film about alcoholism. Yeah. <laughs> An old-time no, rock I, I and roll. <laughs> I'm, I'm a big fan of Another Round. I can't wait to watch it again. It's so um, good. It's really good. What for... Um, so, so Mar- Mar- March and February have been slow months for me, like, since uh, since the films that we did on the episode, uh, yeah. last episode. I watched The House, which nice. I kind of, I've forgotten about. I've, <laughs> I've finally finished the um, Genius, uh, as it's called Genius, Kanye uh, docuseries. Oh, yeah. Uh, 
first two episodes are really good. Third episode, not so much. Um, I've been watching some stand-up specials. I watched Mo Gilligan's one, latest one, and Aziz Ansari's latest one. Um, but yeah, uh, what about you? We've both got one in common that, I, that we've, yeah. Oh yeah, I wanted to get to that. I'll get to that in a minute, but just first sure. of all, I also <laughs> watched for the first time The French Dispatch. Oh, sweet, same. <laughs> which I really, really loved, actually. I, I thought it was really, really excellent. I, I loved it. Cool. Yeah. I, uh, I was very sleepy when watching it. This is not the theme of today's episode, I swear, guys. But um, <laughs> I, like, f- I fell asleep during the, Je- the Jeffrey Wright seg. Like, I was in and out of sleep during the Jeffrey Wright segment. Mm. And that's, like, probably one of the best bits. So I'm like, I, oh. I, can, I can see why, because it is very... Like, all of the three stories are very much kind of a mile a minute in terms of their dialogue and just, like, mm. sort of general style. But well, Jeffrey Rush's one in particular... So cozy. Yeah, yeah. His films are so cozy, and I was watching it like in bed, in in my blanket with a dog next to me. You know, I just might as well just like dig my own grave like, in terms of <laughs> when I fall asleep. Yeah, um, but yeah, um, <laughs> the the one in common that we did have was not meant to be scenes with beans, but we did. Oh, I forgot about that. I completely forgot about <laughs> that. But I just realised that now, looking at my letterbox. But. Um, yeah, we both watched the Batman. The Batman, yes, the new, um, the new Batman film, the Batman, mm. which which I liked I as well. Batman, what, what is this ongoing bit with you? Oh, oh, oh. Have you not, have you never seen Batman and Spider Man? Uh, uh, no, I'm it's sorry. The YouTube thing. Never mind. Oh, okay. Don't worry. We'll I've seen. Yes. <laughs> No, Batman. I like I liked the new Batman film, The Batman. <laughs> uh, I thought it was it quite good. Ahead, does it? I, I liked it. I think I noticed I liked it more kind of in retrospect than I did in the moment because it, it's a very long film and it does feel long in places. Like I feel like a lot of it could have been cut. And I, I know a lot of people online are obviously comparing it to The Dark Knight, and I I did that as well, admittedly. But I think I think. If people want to enjoy it, they they probably shouldn't because I realized like what what's good about this film yeah. is that yes, yeah. <laughs> is is For a that I what you said they probably shouldn't enjoy it. <laughs> no 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 they they shouldn't compare it to the Dark Knight yeah, if they don't yeah, want yeah, it because yeah. this is just no, like I agree. what I like about this film is that it's not you know it's not trying to reinvent the wheel or you know push Batman to its limits. It just feels like a well executed kind of serialized story. You know I, I described it to you. As like it's like watching an episode of Columbo or something or True. You know, it's like all oh, like I've it's the most watched... detective Batman that I've seen. Yeah, I was like when I watched Men in Black for the first time in years recently, it's just like you watch it and you realise there's nothing deep about it. It's just a really well executed kind of mystery sort of, right. you know, d- detective yeah. su- superhero insert the you blank whatever right it's it's good and it's yeah, visually yeah. a lot of people are saying it's visually the closest one oh. to the comics i think i is that what people are saying i thought it looked so good i, I yeah. just thought it looked so good it's it's greg it's greg phrase I, I think it's greg Frazier or i don't know how to pronounce his last name but he's the dp of the mandalorian and Dune. oh yeah he's a very okay. good dp mm. and yeah no i thought it looked great might yeah i'm i'm the same with you when it comes to i think I saw loads of mixed reviews leading up to it and I was like, oh no, I, I really want to enjoy this. Please don't let this be, you know, <laughs> um, bad. And I think the mixed reviews honestly are coming from people 
at least from what I saw, comparing it to The Dark Knight, and you just you can't because there's like, you know, that's what like watching any gangster film and just comparing it to The Godfather is not, you know, <laughs> I guess so. You're not gonna enjoy it if you're comparing it to The Godfather. And like, yeah, I don't um, think it's a great film per se. Maybe I will if I reflect on it longer, but it's it's an alright time, I think, and it's I had a really know, fun time myself. Yeah, but yeah. I, I left the Cinnabar, I had my turtleneck on, I was running late for something, I had it up, I felt I had something in the way by a Nevada player, I felt like Batman, <laughs> it was great. Excellent, excellent. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so, uh, it wasn't really, a th- this is more of a pick-a-mix episode, but the commonality mm. is is that they're both films on, on Mubi, and Mubi is a art house and indie streaming service and if you ever want to sponsor us guys hit us up at taw podcast on the instagram our tms are open over there <laughs> shill 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 <laughs> but yeah wow. um, so this is uh, your first pick of the day could you describe to us what this film is so my to the google my pick i, I realized <laughs> sorry not to break the fourth wall or anything but i didn't ask no, you you're good prior to the podcast, which one we were going to talk about first. So I didn't like... Oh, that's fine. <laughs> I didn't build up to it. So I, <laughs> but I guess we're doing this one first. This, this is... Um, first film of the day we're talking about is called Asako 1 and 2. Yes, that, that is what you wanted. film, yeah. Okay. <laughs> no, I was just making sure. Um, oh, yeah. sorry. I, I now just realised the issue. Yeah. I'm yeah, just, yeah, no, no, no. <laughs> okay, you, yeah. you get it. Your pick, yeah. <laughs> Asako yeah. 1 and 2. This is a film directed by uh, Ryusaki Hamaguchi. I believe that's how you pronounce his name. Who uh, directed the Oscar-nominated film from this year called Drive My Car, which is getting a lot of uh, big award nominations. And I thought, you know, it would be good to check out one of his other films, because I haven't seen Drive My Car yeah. yet, so I thought, oh, it'd be nice to maybe I, yeah, check out one of his earlier. I seen of his films previously. Yeah, and I thought it'd be, you know, because on the podcast I like to try and look at sort of underrated or overlooked films, and I thought, you know, this is a film I've never heard of, a film I know very yeah, little yeah. about, and I thought it'd and be a good... very ch- little about it online. <laughs> there is, there is. I looked at the Wikipedia, it's like two paragraphs or something, it's, it's not yeah. a lot. Um, like, so, I couldn't find any trivia at all. <laughs> <laughs> Damn, we're gonna have to cut the podcast short. <laughs> but yeah, this is a. Um, if just to give my little brief synopsis about sure. it, this is a Japanese romance film, I guess, about a young woman called Asako who falls in love with this kind of deadbeat drifter called Baku, or I think it's Baku how it's pronounced. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, they form a kind of. sort of slight relationship to begin with but then he disappears for a long period of time until she bumps into someone who she believes to be Baku but is actually a different person called Ryoki and Mm -hmm. it kind of brings up all this this past sort of passion she felt for this for Baku before and she kind of forms a relationship with Ryoki and you're kind of thinking to yourself oh which which way is this going to go is it going to you know, is she going to fall for him? Is she going to be obsessed with Baku? It's kind of like a love triangle kind of yeah. thing. That's yeah. my very roundabout uh, synopsis. I didn't write one down. So. That's great. No, me neither. <laughs> but do you want to hear what Google wrote down? They're, they're uh, always yeah. reliable, Google. Go on. Mr. Google. Um, he sits all day writing, Mr. Google. Um, Asako meets and falls madly in love with Drifter, Baku, who one day drifts right out of her life. 
Two years later, working in Tokyo, Asako sees Baku again, or rather a young, solid business solid, solid businessman named Rohi, who bears a striking resemblance to her old flame. They begin to build a happy life together until traces of Asako's past start to resurface. Yeah. This is quite poetic for a fucking Google synopsis. <laughs> for an auto-generated thing. I mean, no, yeah. it's not all, I mean, people write it, but... <clears throat> whoever it is. Yeah. Whoever in turn is bashing these out. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, so, uh, and a little tidbit is that uh, Baku and Ryohi are played by the same actor. Yes. Um, whose name I do not have in front of me. I will... I'm... Uh, Mashiro Higashidi. Um... Is plays both of them. Um, so the first thing I put on here for me is considering how I really liked this film, but I'm, I'm, the more, when I think about it, it's a giant soap opera. <laughs> <laughs> like <laughs> it, it is. It but, is very soap opera. But it's still, it's still that doesn't mean it's not good. I'm like, I, I, but it's just something I realized. I was like, this is uh, the way I would like describe any of my emotional reactions to it. Make it sound like I'm, you know. Tune into next episode of EastEnders. Like, <laughs> you know I, mean? I yeah, definitely. I I have some like I have some pros and cons with this film, and uh, mm. just to address the pros first of all, as I like to do. Um, I think what what stops it from feeling too soap soap opera-y, <laughs> tongue twister, mm. is uh, just, I think it's very well directed. The film, I think it's very there's a nice kind of naturalistic sort of slowness to the film. It's very very well shot i think the it's very well blocked i think there's a lot of there's a lot of emotion that's communicated not through dialogue but through like how actors are blocked in the scene i think it's it's very very well done like there would just be you know someone standing in a corner or like the last shot of the film for example i won't say what it is obviously mm. but it's very like you know it says a lot with just yeah. one shot yeah. and it's it's very very well done very smartly directed um and yeah it's it's very just like it knows how to hold on a shot for a long time without sort of drawing attention to itself. It kind of has that yeah. nice balance of, you know, um, being kind of like uh, stylistically interesting, but kind of also subtle and underplayed visually, I think, which is nice. And I, I, from like shots I've seen of Drive My Car, it looks like that's that also has that quality about right. it. I'm not sure. Well, that... Yeah, I've... um I just put for in regards to cinematography, it's just very clean. It looks so nice. It is very clean, isn't it? Yeah. (laughs) So it seems silly to say picturesque for for a film, but you know what I mean. Like it's it's just a very clean film. Yeah. In the same way that Portrait of a Lady on Fire is, is, Mm. that's what that's what I'm getting from it. What will be interesting for today's episode is we've gone in relatively blind in regards to both of today's filmmakers, so we won't really be able to. see any like uh traits from them and be like oh that's their film that's a hamaguchi film yeah i i would not be able to describe to you what his sensibilities are yet um i I, there's so much i don't know about drive my car yet and then with this yeah we both went into it fairly blind um but like I said, even though there's some soap opera elements in this film, the commonality of both films today is that they bring out a very re- visceral reaction, at least for me, they did. It, it um, was less visceral for me, I think, unfortunately. Right, um, okay. I apologise. <laughs> you just hate people. <laughs> I do hate people, no. no uh, 
But let's see how we could talk about that without spoiling. Of it, course, like, yeah, I've, it's, I've prepared. In particular, Don't worry. the relationship between these characters and yeah, yeah. the decisions that have been made. Yeah, um, yeah. So going into more pros. So, oh yeah, go on. Sure. I, I was about to say. Um, I think there's been a little debate as to whether or not the character of Asako, Asako is considered three dimensional or not due to her behavior. And I was just mm. wondering what you think of that. Right. So this is, um, yeah, this was something I was going to address. So another thing that, so we address the kind of soap opera element of this and how one, it kind of doesn't feel too soap opera just because it's very well directed, very smartly directed, I think. And also yeah. I, I did find all of the, well, most of the characters in this quite endearing, I think. Like I said before, they have yeah. a very kind of naturalistic quality to them, a very kind of nice little awkwardness about them, which was very nice to watch. It didn't feel like they were trying too hard or anything. It just felt very kind of lived in and natural. And I think, so the character of Asako, I, I think, I, I think she's okay. I think she's... um. How's, how's I going to word this? Um, I get what you mean, because right from the beginning, um, I was kind of dubious about her romance with Baku, because it kind of, the way they kind of get together is kind of, it's spring, it's uh, springed upon you, almost like it feels very rushed, like they don't feel like they have a natural chemistry, at least to me, almost. It feels very much right. like, I'm going to start dating you. Okay. And it yeah. feels very kind of one-sided in that regard. So I guess like, if, if people are saying Asako doesn't have, like, agency as a character, I, I can see that. But at that, the same yeah, time... Yeah. In regards at, to that, I feel like. At the same time, for most of the film, I did feel like there was enough... I, I would say there is three-dimensionality to her character because she is having this kind of internal right. struggle. A lot of that is portrayed yeah. without dialogue. It's quite subtle and underplayed. Yeah. I think, you know, it's an understandable struggle, although the right. romance between her and Baku, I thought, was quite shallow. I can kind of... But I feel like that's intended. It is intended, I guess, but it's, you know... The, the shallow bit, I'm saying. Yeah, because that's, you know, that that's what some romances are like, unfortunately, and it gives it that kind of realistic, sort of awkward element. But it kind of also stopped me from loving the film, I guess, because you realise that the whole driving force behind her motivations as a character is this very kind of rushed, sort of shallow romance that she has with Baku and how right. it Im- impacts her relationship with Rio here and like I thought I don't know like um so over the course of the film you see her slowly growing closer and closer to Riohi kind of pushing her memory of Baku to one side and getting closer to Riohi and yeah. I thought that was really nice yeah. that's a really nice showing of uh, character development I thought that was quite well done but then yeah. Riohi has way more screen the character Riohi has way more screen time than Baku yeah and probably because of that method of not only she, but we are warming up to this person and our yeah. memory of the previous person's getting like faded out. And exactly. And Ryohi is obviously portrayed as a much nicer person than Baku. He's portrayed yeah. as more kind of well-rounded, down-to-earth, respectable, which is, you know, understandably why more screen time is dedicated to him because Baku is kind of like almost the catalyst for her sort of romantic intentions, but then it's kind of carried on through towards, uh, through... Ryohi. But yeah, I liked that kind of build-up of her slowly growing closer to him. But then, what I wrote this in my notes, well, I didn't really like the last 30 minutes of this film. Because <laughs> okay. I won't spoil what happens, but... What, fr- from the decision? 
yeah, would you say from, from the decision from the, okay, from the decision right. she makes? That's the that's the visceral reaction I'm talking about. The, it's, and, and that what, was the I was like, ah, yeah. And what was, was like, so it was frustration <laughs> you felt? Yeah, yeah. Oh, uh, what's really interesting? I'm gonna I'm gonna tiptoe so much. Um, <laughs> was I jokingly said to you, I want to fight character X Y Z. Yeah, but really, the other person's just as guilty, and you shouldn't. You know. You shouldn't place the blame on one person for exactly these yeah. trickle down events. Um, quickly going back to your, the soap opera thing, I didn't mean in terms of quality. I meant in terms of if I was describing this to someone or describing my emotional reaction to it, it makes it sound like I'm talking about kitchen sink soap opera dramas. And I get like, that. Oh no, she does. She decided to leave X Y Z, and he he's secretly in love with her, and all this other yeah, stuff. Yeah. It's the more the romance parts, but the actual quality of the stuff, like it's great, like great looking film i just wanted to quickly point that out i didn't i'm not nullifying it but i'm saying in talking about it it's hard not to point out the soap opera elements um yeah but yeah with with asaku's character um apologies if i'm pronouncing it wrong i'm not sure but um it seems like with the 3d debate it seems like she, that character can kind of have their cake and eat it too in terms of they need the the film needs that character to be headstrong in order to be a tool for the narrative, but then also that's what makes her three D is that she's so like imperfect in in being stubborn and like like can switch on a dime tra- type thing. Does yeah, it, it does make sense, and you're right in the sense that sort of her chaotic nature of her rash decision making kind of makes her more three dimensional, right. and I'm fine with that in films. I've seen loads of films where characters make dumb decisions and roll with it and then they learn but in this film i just so first of all the the dumb decision comes very late in the film like i said it's Mm. like the Mm -hmm. the third act and you and what annoyed me about it was you have long it's quite long foot late as well yeah you you have all this build-up of her slowly growing and growing and growing and then in the last that decision she makes in the last half an hour kind of makes that all seem pointless yeah. and it's like oh i've just wasted my yeah. time watching 90 minutes right. of of what exactly and then the the last half an hour after that decision just feels like cleanup for the little oops that right. she did it, it it doesn't feel like right. she's learned from her mis- i mean she does kind of learn from the mistake she makes but not through like tangible growth i think she learns it in a sort sure. of like oh i'm sorry kind of way like oh no i i've kind of made I've kind of realized what I've done, but too late. And like I said, the rest of the film just feels like her trying to clean up her mess and it never really gets cleaned up at the end. But it's right. it's like, it, yeah. I don't know. It just made me less endeared towards her because like at the beginning, you, you see that she's quite a juvenile character. And then as the film progresses, you see it slowly maturing. And then that happens. And I just felt less endeared to her, I think, for the rest, right. for the rest of the film after that happened. It seems like, all the other characters around her are the ones that have the agency. And that even though mm. it's kind of not great that the last half of the film is, is clean up, that bit seemed more like real life. Like there are some people that do all this growing and then literally just fob it all off because of, say, a previous flame or something. That that does happen. Mm. Um, I'm not quite sure what my point was there. Um, but <laughs> like... But it just seems it, it so. Yeah, is what I'm saying. Like yeah. it seems like, but but weird, weirdly enough, even though that whole segment seemed a bit 
more like real life in that people aren't fully perfect, the scene where the decision happens feels dreamlike. I was like, is this actually happening? Is this a dream sequence? Yeah. Like, yeah. What? <laughs> um, yeah. Which I realize, I'm realizing now how this may not be great for audience members because we're tiptoeing around it and it's mainly talking about the last part of the film. So I'm trying to figure out why audiences should watch this if we're literally just talking about one particular decision. Like, I don't, um, I don't like, think this is a bad film. I think this is a decent, no, nice, so. well-to-do little romance film. And, you yeah. know, I don't think the ending is strictly... I, it's, I think it's bad. I don't think it's the worst thing I've ever seen. It's, you know, I guess you can derive some... It, it kind of has that sort of jarring nature to it, which makes you go, oh, I didn't expect that. So, in a sense, you can praise it for subverting traditional rom-com tropes. And, you know, giving the film a more sort of bittersweet ending. But, um, and like you said, it has that kind of, I mean, the whole film has, like I said, this kind of realistic element to it. It feels very natural, very organic. And as you said, the ending, even though it feels very rash, it's realistic. But I think, you know, just because something's realistic doesn't mean it's great drama. (laughs) I think, you know, I think that, like I said, it just, it kind of gave me the impression that I'd, I'd wasted my time with the movie, (laughs) wasted my time kind of endearing myself towards this character who, because like the decision she makes is very quick and it shows no inkling of kind of internal sort of thing, like weighing up options. It's like, it's instantaneous when she makes the decision and it almost feels kind of silly in a way, almost comedic, I think. Right. Yeah. It's a tricky one because it feels like everyone around her points that out, but then that doesn't excuse it. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Uh, So uh, I'm assuming that the title of the film is not only referring to one and two being uh, Baku and Ryohi, but Asako one and two, them being two versions of herself in life. So uh, in the trailer, it shows... uh, In the trailer, it shows... um, uh, Baku as no, uh, no, yeah, Baku is number two and Ryohi is number one, but really it's the other way around. Um, mm. But I, what I'm what I'm trying to get at is that she's kind of two different people when she gets in these relationships. Yeah, and then when someone comes back, it's like she kind of flips on a dime to her old self, and that's probably why. But I, I just is it, it the I'm, it sounds like I'm grasping at straws here, but I think it's <laughs> kind of an interesting thing to interpret in that. Uh, her flame with Baku was in a different city. She was a different person. Then she moves to a new city, becomes, grows into herself, meets someone else. And then those forces kind of clash. Yeah. Um, what, what, do you, what do you think of that element? Considering we're, we're kind of getting, we're, we're kind of saying it's been like tacked on together but like at the end. But I think you're right. The film has always showed those clashing points. I think you're time. right in the sense that, sorry, I have a bit of gas. <laughs> sorry. All good. Um, no, I, I agree with what you're saying in the, t- in the sense that, sh- uh, the, the, as the title alludes to, it's two different sides of her, you know, her sort of emotion towards Baku and her emotion towards Ryohi. That's, that, uh, sorry, what was your point? Sorry. <laughs> sorry. I, um, Just two, two different versions of herself and where that clashes, you know, the clashes between that is like, obviously yeah. with the third act, but then, yeah. The the the, yeah. the clashes yeah. with her her two selves, as you say, like her yeah. relationship yeah. towards Baku and her relationship towards Ryohi, 
do make for quite interesting sort of internal dilemma that she has. But And I think if she'd made the, this decision maybe earlier in the film, it would have given it more time to breathe. I think more time for her to actually feel like she's learned from her mistake and, you know, it would have given it more time for her to reflect and actually grow as a character rather than having it feel more tacked on, I think. So, right. yeah, I think it, bringing that up as a, a defence of, you know, the the two sides of her sort of romantic personality. It's not even necessarily a, de- a defence, it's just yeah. more of just something to maybe take into consideration or just something to interpret because just yeah. because of the title. Yeah. It's not, um, yeah. Um, something I liked in this film was just a little tidbit is that it's not, I don't feel like it's super often in these types of films that you see people in their twenties just figuring life out and everyone trying to be adults. But that was just something I liked in the film. Everyone's yeah. in their twenties trying to, I don't know. I've, I've seen it in a few I'm films at, at the moment, but yeah. Okay, but okay, but that, that's something I got from the film. <laughs> no, that's that's good. <laughs> Trying to find other things I'm to glad. talk about. <laughs> I got that as well. Like yeah. I, I like the scenes where it's just them kind of chilling out. Like when yeah, that's uh, what, yeah, when yeah. when there's four of them in the flat together and they get into a little petty argument and then they resolve it. That that was nice. I thought like yeah. you know it it is it does have that kind of relatable quality because I, I remember I watched uh, Francis Ha about a year ago for the first time. And that wasn't a film I'd maybe loved at first. I think if I maybe watch it again, I might like it even more. But that I feel like that has that kind of same cosy, relatable quality that this film had for you right. know characters in their twenties figuring stuff out. It's it's nice to see that right. represented my, my, in I, film. I think I, I see more, more coming of age films in that people going into their twenties, not not people in their twenties. Yeah, what I'm trying to say, and then. I think we're gonna get it with this film, the worst person in the world. That's what I've heard. But um, okay, I don't know. Yeah, it's usually it's usually the high school kids just about to leave college and they're gonna learn about life. <laughs> but now you, whether it's with this or saw, you know, you're seeing twenty year olds, people in the twenties, uh, kind of, uh, in suits trying to look like adults and behave like adults, and then yeah, then they're gonna become adults and you know have kids and all this other stuff. I, I just really like those elements of the film. And and do you feel um, you, so? You feel like there's more coming of age stories focused on sort of teenagers transitioning into yeah. twenty year olds. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I would definitely. And I, I suppose more. I suppose why that is is maybe because for, for, literally all I could think of for the the flip of that would be this film Francis Ha and then this new one the worst person in the world. Mm. Like I, it's, it seems very rare. And maybe it's because things like college and high school are easy to dramatize in a narrative. Maybe that's sure. easier to do than just because I, I guess for a lot of people being in your twenties is kind of like this meandering period. Maybe that's harder to right. kind of. Right. put into a into a specific narrative whereas things like high school and college graduation that's i guess there's, there's more of a structure you can work with and that you know end the film when they graduate that's perfect yeah. Yeah. <laughs> whereas yeah. where, if a film about someone in your 20s end the film when they're 30 question mark <laughs> right, i don't right. know like, i'm just I'm... well this one isn't necessarily <laughs> it per se like yeah. in terms of narrative it, it just has that around them so it has pe- like the characters in it are, are coming of age and, and the stuff around them is, but at, at the centre, it's this romance, love triangle drama. Yeah. It, it, the film isn't marketing itself as reality bites, do you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> I haven't seen reality uh, bites. 
okay, but it was just I know, I know my what point you mean. being is oh, yeah. not marketing itself as a coming of age film. It, yeah, it's yeah. a it's a romance film with coming of age elements, and those are the bits. So just something I liked within it, because mm-hmm. um, I just I feel like I just haven't seen it that much in films. Um, yeah, yeah, I, I I can't speak too much to the director's style because I don't know enough about it yet. Um, I'm looking forward to seeing Drive My Car, but I literally know nothing about it, and apart from all the awards it's getting and that it looks really nice. Yeah. And it's three hours, no, so I, w- I, don't, I can't compare the two. <laughs> I wouldn't mind checking out more of his films from seeing this one, because yeah, although, I, although I think this film is flawed in places, I, I do think it has the groundwork of like a very good filmmaker, I think, and I, I would love yeah. to see and, and what else he, he does. Yeah. And he managed to get me to really care about this love triangle and, and mm. have like a visceral reaction to it, which is yeah. something to applaud, I feel like. Because, yeah. But if, I mean, maybe not for you because you're saying you didn't have a, <laughs> much of a reaction. No, I, I don't think it was a visceral reaction. It was more of a kind of, oh, that was nice for three quarters of the film. And then, oh, for the last quarter, <laughs> kind of. <laughs> you know, okay. like, because like, okay. I compare it to like, I don't know. Um, I've seen other romance films where from the outset the the driving force of the romance feels like it's based in real tangible chemistry, something like, I don't know, Before Sunrise or something like that, or when Harry met Sally, you know, the sort of the classics, I guess. Um, it, it, and that kind of allowed me to kind of um, sort of be, be gripped by it more, I guess, than with this film, because it, it did feel like, right. like I said before, the driving force of her romantic feelings towards Baku feels a bit kind of shallow and I couldn't quite like I can understand it but I couldn't quite put myself in her shoes of yes I completely understand you're feeling this way I completely empathize with you and I didn't have that visceral reaction that you did unfortunately right (laughs) but it's still a nice film still a very nice well-made sort of just good well-to-do romance film yeah, um, I saw just prepping for the episode beforehand. I saw a brief thing where someone was asking uh, the director if he considers the film a ghost story. I guess assuming to how Baku's presented and the idea mm. of Baku, um, to which he said it's more like a horror film. And I'm like, okay, sure. <laughs> it seemed like an art, like a very, I don't know. I He's agree, but, uh, <laughs> whatever. <laughs> It's all semantics, isn't it? It's a film where stuff yeah. happens. <laughs> What's yeah. interesting? This is just this is a where little... we're getting to in the podcast, where we're like, we've gone from like mass trivia and opinions <laughs> and everything to you know, it's a film. It's well, no, happens. I mean, you know, we and, can uh, talk until the sun goes down about whether sure. it's a horror, a neo horror, a neo noir romance, right, right, uh, right. a post sci-fi, post mortem. Yeah. I don't know what the <laughs> fuck. Like, it's all just words, in a isn't it? Flipped upside down. Yeah. Genre, genre, genre. This isn't first year film. Let's just talk about it. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, I agree. So why yeah. should people see this? Uh, because it's... It, it's it's like... A, or sure, you know, should they, by, by all, that reaction? All, all, the positive, all the positive points I've already brought up. Like, it's uh, a very well-directed film, very smartly directed film. It has that nice kind of relatable, naturalistic quality about it, both in its kind of awkward and tender moments. Uh, the characters are quite endearing for the most part. Pardon me, I just burped, I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> um, although I don't think it's the most kind of 
for me anyway, the most visceral romance film, the most kind of relatable, intelligent, kind of moving romance out there. I still think it's a quite a, a nice film, despite some poor script choices in the last part of the film. I sure. think it's still a film you could just vibe with and, and have fun with for the most yeah. part. Yeah. What about no, you? I agree. Yeah. No, I agree with that. And I agree that it is a very tender film. It's a very like, like there's some sad elements, but it's a very sweet film. Um, yeah. Yeah. In the same, like similar, similar vibes to in the mood for love for me. Mm. Um, not also because there's the mo- there's the whole frames within frames thing, especially in the in her friend's apartment. That bit reminded me of that. But mm. yeah, um, I'm excited to see more of this filmmaker's catalogue. But yeah, I I couldn't I couldn't say go to it because of he does this. I I don't know what that <laughs> is. Like, I guess right. Okay. If if you just want to see tender character relationships and decisions that you'd be quite shocked by or like if you want to be challenged in the structure of that go go see this film because the, the characters don't make your, your average decisions they they kind of they kind of flip it on its head a bit they're not your average joe you vague vague <laughs> um but yeah um as 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 it stands, you can stream this film on Mubi, and remember, Mubi, you can sponsor us. Uh, on our, hit us up; we would very much like that. <laughs> um, yeah, um, I'm like I said, excited to see Drive My Car. Yeah, um, same. Next film today, so I kind of picked it at just a, a like kind of a pick out of a hat type situation. I've always always seen this film out and about. Like I've always seen the title. I've always seen the poster. Um, I'll give my disclaimers in a bit but it's Mis- Mysterious Skin um, which th- today's Google synopsis says one youth played by Brady I thought it was Brady Corbett but I've seen videos where they say Corbett but I'm going to say Corbett because yeah Brady Corbett becomes obsessed with UFOs while another played by Joe Gordon Levitt becomes a gay hustler in the years following a childhood trauma um, so yeah uh, how do I go about this uh most of the time, I'm not a squeamish viewer. I, I don't disturb easily. This film, I did. And I'm going to give uh, people their trigger warnings where B, even though I got them from movie beforehand, thank you. Um, it, it's still a very harrowing film. It's a film that talks about um, child, uh, child abuse. And it's a very unflinching film. It's quite disturbing. But there's also some other that, that just get. I'm gonna get that part of the, out of the way, and then we can get into, you know, other bits and bobs of the film because mm. it's not just all. It's just not all just harrowing, but it is. But you, there's more. On to you. I don't. I don't know how to phrase it. Uh, <laughs> I, yeah, I want uh, to have tact with this. Exactly. <laughs> no. No. You're absolutely right to give those trigger warnings. This is a film about child abuse, about sexual abuse, and the kind of psychological effects that this has on people later in life and you know if that's you know straight off the bat if that isn't the kind of film you want to see if you're or if you're particularly sensitive to those subject matters i would automatically say do not see this film i don't think it has yeah uh if yeah i don't i don't think this film will convince you to sort of 
yeah uh, be able to look at those so it just d- don't see it if you don't like those subject matters and there's like a, yeah like, and, uh, yeah go on oops just sorry real quick and in and even if if even if it's the same for hearing about those topics being discussed I feel lit, like you can pop the episode off at this point and check out our other ones because we do have other ones that are yes um, list, listenable if that's if that's the case yeah um, sorry please continue no so um obviously like with the other film i have some pros and cons that i want to mention with this one but uh, one thing that i do want to really praise about this film so there's a particular aspect of this film that i really thought i i really have a lot of respect for which is um so at the beginning of this film they they show obviously it's about this young boy who gets sexually abused by his i think it's a baseball coach right yeah yeah, yeah. and <clears throat> the sort of build up to that happening is these the scenes the baseball coach interacting with the young boy kind of grooming him kind of yeah you, you know trying to make him comfortable around him and it's interesting so greg araki the director of this film decided to shoot those scenes with the actors playing to the camera like you know like silence of the yeah. lambs style jonathan demi like they're playing directly to the camera not to each other and the reason he yeah. did that was to make the child actor more more comfortable so that he didn't have to actually yeah. interact with, he's not with, he's not in the scenes with him and exactly they yeah, yeah, yeah. Of the actual nature of the scenes yeah but yeah and i think it's because yeah. not only is it good from like a filmmaking standpoint and like you know taking care of the actors and making sure they're okay but also it just it works quite well cinematically i think this sort of playing to the, right. the camera thing because it's like you're watching it and you're looking into the eyes of these characters. It's their point of view. Yeah. It's their point yeah. of view. And it's, it's um, yeah, I think other than being just a good sort of decision in terms of production, it is, it does work really well in a, in a visual sense. So I think I have a lot of, I have a lot of praise for that, yeah. for that decision made in this uh, film. And I, yeah. Uh, also what helps with that is um, cause it's a point of view and the uh, the film is very it talks about memory and how memories can get repressed and stuff like that so the point of view scenes really do put you in the position of the characters and as you're experiencing it or or reflecting back on it um and how that can be distorted um yeah a a film that the film reminded me of uh is the film happiness not only because it deals with the same topic but it's shot the same way i mean it's gonna have to be shot that that way for logistical ethical reasons um it's the same thing happens in the babadook whenever uh jennifer kent is i believe it's jennifer kent unless that's the director might be the director basically whenever there's a scene in the babadook of the mum hurling abuse at the the uh, verbal abuse at the sun they it's just in one like it's just a one take on the actor and then coming Mm. back to the take on the kid so that the kid is being told different things so they don't actually get traumatized on set um and this film does that as well. Um, sorry, I kind of just echoed what you said there. Um, <laughs> no, I, no, I mean, it's yeah. good. You, you've mentioned other films that, that do it as well. Because I, I actually haven't seen right. Happiness or The Babadook. I'm a bad film student. Right. But, <laughs> um, no, I mean, uh, if, if you found Mysterious Skin as difficult, then don't watch Happiness because it's a similar topic. That's all yeah. I'm going to say. And so, yeah, going further into this film, so that I wanted to praise that one specific element of it. Sure. Um, and also, just in a more general sense, I think you can say this film has merit in the fact that it shows a very kind of unfiltered look at what sexual abuse can do to a person later in life, right. the kind of long-term yeah. Yeah. effects. It doesn't feel like it's kind of 
padding it for you. It it feels like yeah. it's just it, it's yeah. giving you that a hundred percent, and it's I I think that yeah. in in a sense gives it some degree of merit. And I, but yeah, going into this, I well coming out of this film, I did, and I think you had this reaction as well. You, I never want to watch this again. This film. No, no, I don't. No, um, no, no. And I was I was trying to and think. I, of, like I said, I I don't disturb easily. Like the yeah. Like, yeah, but I, I remember uh, Adam Adam Beale shout out uh, asked asked me a while back if there's any film I wouldn't if is there has there been a film I would never watch again and I struggled to answer that question and the only film that I could kind of hazard it something it to I, I can't phrase my words today was uh, Perfect Blue but there okay. are elements of Perfect Blue that I can watch again whether it's with this I didn't even give it a rating I kind of wish I could get a sponge and soak up. Mm. my brain like but i, I but at so, the same time it's important to talk about these these yeah. things that happen and it, the director does do it yeah does talk about these issues in a tasteful way i don't that sounds, sounds weird to say but like do you, you know what i mean i know what you mean um, more so in the fact of the the pov methods and then just talking about it from a repressed memory perspective yeah. um that's something I quickly wanted to touch upon is so that, uh, that Gregor Aki uses a lot of shoegaze music uh, mm. in this film and it kind of creates this ethereal... That's the bit I wanted to point out earlier when I was saying it's not just all harrowing. Um, it The music creates this very ethereal, uh, for, lack of, for lack of a better word, vibe because it's it's, it's just very atmospheric music that... Romanticizes the environment they're in because they're in this small town, and it's very the music's very longing and mm. moody. Is my, is my it kind of it, it gives it like it's like a sort of dreamlike sense to it, almost like yes, yes you're, you're yes. getting it's almost like <laughs> it's almost like you've got head rush from this kind of traumatic yeah. event that's that's happened, and I guess the use of music works quite well. And just sorry, a little tangent. Um, going back sure. to what you said about a film you'd never watch again, I think for me, so obviously this is one. And a requiem for a dream was another one that right. I, I yeah, had. Yeah. Uh, sorry, that was just a little point, but um, no, no, you, yeah. I was just thinking though, because I, I think obviously my reaction to this was I never want to watch this again, and I wanted to kind of think a little deeper as to why that was, just beyond the subject matter, because I've seen right. films yeah. Yeah. with harrowing subject matters that I would happily watch again. So, like Funny Games, for example, I think Funny Games mm. yeah. is a very cruel, unforgiving film with a very cruel and unforgiving subject matter but it's very cinematic and i would revisit it i've you know yeah. i've seen it three times and i'll probably watch it again at some point it's you know it feels like a very well-made film whereas with this i felt like there are definitely well-made elements to it like i said the beginning is very well shot both on a kind of contextual and cinematic level and like you said that kind of hazy feel it has to it is quite good but there, there are other things i think kind of held it back in a sense. So, yeah. for example, I think... So this film follows two storylines. Uh, one yep. of the kid who's abused by the baseball coach as a kid, played by uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt. And the other one who has this... It's like a UFO... How, how do you describe it? He witnesses a, a UFO. Sighting. Si- UFO sighting. Yeah. And... You know, and we see that how that plays out, and it's played by oh, what's the actor's name? I forgot. Brady Corbett. Brady Corbett, thank you. And I felt like so you you follow those two storylines for a lot of the film, but I feel like they don't converge 
until quite late in the film. And it yeah. feels like a lot of it is just kind of meandering around Another commonality that. with Osako 1 and 2 is the dual narrative that yes. m- meets quite late. <laughs> it does meet quite late. Wow. But I think, like, with Osako it worked because you do... You want... I don't know. I feel like with Osako they do converge in a kind of metaphorical sense earlier on because she has a relationship it fails she meets another person so in that sense they've already converged quite early on in the film whereas with this i feel like they do feel like you're just watching two individual stories happen and both stories do kind of meander a little bit and a lot of it is like it it feels like it's kind of latching on to its harrowing subject matter in order to be dramatic without being Right. Like incredibly well paced or you know incredibly like gripping and sort of dynamic like i'm I'm happy to watch films that are just completely like just vibes and not very plot heavy right. but i feel like i need to be endeared towards the characters if that's the case whereas so joseph gordon levitt's character mm-hmm. in this he is obviously he's been through this traumatic event but he is just a very consistently unpleasant person isn't he right 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 right. throughout would you say so yeah 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 no very but um what were you gonna say in regards to that oh just the like i feel like he doesn't change or grow much throughout the film until maybe the very end when the stories converge finally and i feel like okay you know the film makes its point of of like you know this um Mm -hmm. Well, experiencing this trauma can lead you to do very unthinkable, unforgivable things. But then I was yeah. kind of making myself go like, and, and what else? Right. You okay. know, <laughs> right. like it just, yeah. Well, so yeah. So with, with his character, um, is very much a, de- a depiction of like how that event has caused him to bring out similar things in himself because it's yeah. happened to him. It, it, I don't think, luckily I think it doesn't, use that as a justification i don't feel like maybe i'm i've watched the film quite a while ago now but like i don't feel like it entirely justifies his behavior thank god it's but it's like, not justifying it i think but it, it's just showing right. it, it's kind of it's trying to make it's just you showing feel matter of factly yeah. yeah it's trying to make you feel uncomfortable but then it, that's that's kind of it for a lot of the film i think you're just kind of hanging right. out with this awful person and sure, his, yeah. his his friends as well, who are kind of equally maladjusted people. Um, right. And mm. was it another note I had here? I feel like going back to the kind of soap opera thing we talked about in yeah. Osaka 1 or 2, I feel like this kind of has a bit of that, a bit of that quality as well. Like, I don't know, some of the line deliveries. In the dialogue or... Yeah, 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 in the dialogue. Some of the line deliveries yeah. in this just felt very kind of like tv drama or school play or sure. something just sure. uh, i don't know maybe I, I don't know if it's the yeah. performances or how the dialogue was written again i saw this film about a week and a half ago so it's not as fresh right. in my mind what what would you chalk it up to if if you agree i don't know if yeah you, no I, I mean so it's this, it's that thing of i guess some of the things i was trying to make with the music is that these characters are very longing and sentimental about their location that I think it's Hutchinson is where they're talking about. Um, mm. So a lot of the dialogue can be a bit cheesy and cringe because it's teenagers talking about how much they love a location and how much they never want to leave. And if they're in this point, it's like a movie in our lives. And like, that is a line in the film. Yeah, it is. Um, <laughs> yeah. Which is, which is cheesy, but I feel like 
those characters would say that, which is weird because it's not a defense. Like it's like it's the whole like I don't know. It's the whole like would a character speak like this? But I feel like these characters would because just because of how they behave. Like I guess, but it's just I don't know. People. I suppose, mm. yeah, but a lot but it of it doesn't justify it. So it's the a weird lo- <laughs> catch twenty two. <laughs> a lot of the, but it's like yes, maybe characters do speak like that, but just just because they do doesn't mean you have to show it. Like a lot of the emotions right. in this are done through dialogue. A lot of them are done through visuals as well, but a lot of them are done through this kind of cheesy dialogue. Whereas in Asako right. one and two, you'd get a sense of the tone of a scene or the the general feeling of a scene through right. like a glance the, the, or yeah, like an yeah. actor standing in one particular part of the frame. Whereas with this, it, you don't have that quality. I think it was kind of missing right. that kind of nuance to it. And it did kind of feel a bit sort of hammy and garish in moments. Right. Unfortunately. Yeah. So yeah. These, these two, these two actors, they they weren't like breakout performances, but they, yeah, they kind of were. Sure, mm. uh, Brady Corbett did Thunderbirds before this. Oh, that's where like I recognised him from. Oh my god! Yeah, there we go. He is also he is also the American uh, henchman and antagonist in Funny Games. Oh, okay. He's one of the two. I haven't seen that one. So, so you yeah. know that you, no, but you know in the American one, it's it's two blonde guys. He is one yes. of them. Oh, okay. He is right. one of the villains. That's oh. where you know him from. Um, he's also directed the film Vox Lux. He's become a very interesting director. I would recommend mm. that film. It's a ve- it's not perfect, but I'd recommend it. And if you want to hear Willem Dafoe be a narrator, Vox Lux. Um, <laughs> but so, but f- this film was heavily marketed with his posters as like Joseph Gordon Levitt, Joseph Gordon Levitt, Joseph Gordon Levitt. This is a breakout performance. Da, 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 da. Um, but a lot of people, I think now online are saying that Brady ooh, voice crack Brady Corbett is kind of a lot of the heart and soul of the film um mm. what, what do you think of that and what do you think of their performances and their characters uh, I, I can see why people say Brady Corbett's the kind of heart and soul of the film because in in the sense he is kind of I guess the moral backbone of the film because of the two characters you, you focus he also on. might just yeah he also might just be the, the audience's character because because of his repressed memories and he's finding a lot he's who we find out a lot of the information through i just realized yeah in that i i guess that's that's a good point actually it's so it's kind of like an, an interesting fr- no 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 it's, it's a good point it's like a good narrative framing device in that like you said we kind of get exposition through him in a sense because he's learning stuff right. at the same rate as we are and he kind of has the biggest revelation by the end of the film, I would say, out of all of these characters. So, yeah, I, I can see that. I can see him being the heart and soul of, of this film. Um, yeah, I, th- I think... I'm just trying to look at my notes. I think I've... Um, uh, yeah. So, but with what I was saying earlier about how this is the first time we've, dis- we've gone into either, either of these filmmakers' discographies, so we don't have too much of these like what their mannerisms are or whatever my impression of Gregor Racki going into it for the most part was that he did like he's done these uh grungy films in the 90s so growing up whenever I'd see the poster for this I would just see you know Joe Gordon-Levitt looking how he looks in it and and I always growing up I always thought this was a sci-fi because of the UFO part. Um, <laughs> yeah. Thank God I didn't watch it as a, when I was younger. But um, 
my point being is in is that he he tends to he he from what it seems to be anyway tends to do films with like a grungy campy aesthetic or around that that iconography um mm. which this film does but also has the the you know the actual subject matter that that's the dramatic part within it so i think it's set in the 90s would you say yeah i think so um yeah so i mean i don't i'm not running to his other films yeah but, uh, neither but am i from from what i what i believe this is the only one that he's adapted of someone else's work mm-hmm. so and that this is a more uh like toned down version of his other films. Oh, he really? literally has a film okay. called Totally. He has he has a film called Totally Fucked Up. So I can't imagine <laughs> what that's about. Like I don't know, but um, <laughs> yeah, I think. Uh, how do I? I don't know how to phrase any of this because I'm just yeah. What what um, what are you trying to say? Think, what, what's your? No, just uh, so that just how he handles the characters for the most part like there there are tender elements of these characters in this harsh dark environment like mm-hmm. especially the relationship between just the uh joseph levitt and his two friends one played by michelle trachtenberg and the other one who i don't know the name of like there are, there are sweet moments in this film in order to try and talk about people's relationships but it, he tries to balance the two is what I'm trying to say. Um, mm. But yeah, I don't know. I don't know how to go about that because he's it, it, <laughs> still a bad cat. He's still a bad person. Joe Scott Levitt's character. And the characters do point that out. But I don't know. Like the film overall still tries to show this ethereal uh, longing vibe around it. And I think that's why mm. a lot of people like it. And I think that part of the film is probably what helps People, it's kind of like the the sugar for the medicine type thing. Yeah, um, it's it's an interesting juxtaposition. Of, what do you think of that? Yeah, that. It, yeah, what do you think of that juxtaposition? Is what I'm trying to get at. Uh, no, I I I can appreciate it because, like I said before, um, going back to what you said about the is it shoegazing the the kind of yeah. ethereal feel this this film has to it. I I think it works relatively well for it because it, it like I said it gives you that sense of like feeling a bit hazy or like you have head rush or something after, after this very traumatic event. Cause I imagine after, you know, luckily I've never been through anything like this, but I imagine if you've been through that kind of trauma, you would, you know, the, the world wouldn't feel real to you. It would have this right. kind of like sort of dreamlike sort of haze to it. You know, you wouldn't be sure what to think of others around you, what to think of the world around you. Right. So I, I guess it kind of works well for that. And going back to what you said about, you know, J- Joseph Gordon-Levitt's character, he is, you know, he does bad things. He's a bad character, but that's the point, blah, blah, blah. It's kind of, yeah, I can appreciate that in the sense that, yes, it, the film, like I said, it does make its point that going through this trauma makes you do these bad things. It can make you quite maladjusted as a person, but I do feel like, that point is kind of made and sort of mm. sealed very early on in the film. I, and it's kind of I, just yeah. re- repeating that luckily, point again and again. Yeah. Luckily, Greg Araki still cares about this character and shows like there's, there's a lot of care taken towards both characters, even though like it, it's seemed, seemed to be as one's quote unquote more innocent than the other. Yeah. Um, 
it's you know they they do show the hardships with Joseph Gordon-Levitt's character, and the, I luckily the film cares about him too, is what I'm trying to say, even though he has done bad things. Like, uh, yeah, it's it's a tricky. It's a slippery it, slope, but yeah, yeah, it's not. It's not just saying his character's bad. Like, it, no, it definitely bad, cares about him, and it de- the film definitely cares about him, and it definitely portrays him in a sort of multifaceted light. I just, yeah, yeah. I, I just wasn't gripped by him for the whole two hours. Sure. You know, it kind of, right. I kind of got the point, and it kind of didn't evolve beyond that point until maybe the very end because yeah, I, yeah. I quite like the ending of this film I, not to spoil it but I think it's quite a mm. sort of tender ending to what is a yeah. very kind of harrowing film so yeah. Yeah. No, it was I'm kind of saying. a nice note to end on yeah <laughs> um, sorry for the trickiness it's, it, it, is, it is just a um, it's a tricky film to talk about in, in subject matter so I want to have tact but then also I it's a film you never want to watch again. So I I've literally I've only, it, the same as you. I watched it like a week or two ago. So yeah. I'm I'm kind of bringing up. I'm remembering things as I talk about it. Um, but yeah, a, a friend of mine was saying that it's kind of important to talk about these subjects in order to just create that dialogue. And apparently, from what most people online's reaction to this film is, it, that it does that. It, it um. Because I think there, uh, there was some like backlash in Australia because they were saying that the scenes could, are more. They were saying that the scenes advocate for it by showing it, but if anything, the film very much doesn't advocate for it and shows that what's happening is bad in the yeah. same way that you know this is England or American History X shows these really harsh scenes, but it doesn't advocate it, it for it by showing it. Yeah, no, I, mean? I definitely don't think this film is advocating it. It, it, it no. no, absolutely not. No. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, it, it, viewers don't have to worry about that, but they do have to worry about those things happening in the scene because they, 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 they just do. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's my that's my point. Well, I, I get because I think because. Loosely, let me loosely link this, uh, is uh, when people have worried about scenes from American History X and This Is England getting taken out of context. It, that those films show the scenes of like, ab, like this violent racism that's happening just by outwardly showing it. But because it's doing that, it's, that's what creates the dialogue and puts the lens on it instead of just going yeah. this bad. Like, yeah. it, you have to show it in order to be... Like, you can't just keep cutting away. You exactly. I mean? you, you need... But, it's, it's all about the perspective from which a film is addressing yeah. its, its issue, isn't it? You know? Um, yeah. yeah. It's, it's like, I guess, if we, we could talk about, like, in another round, which I saw recently, it's about men who are slowly mm-hmm. becoming susceptible to alcoholism. But it's not saying yeah. alcoholism is good. You know, it's right. it's looking at it in a sort of multifaceted light. It's saying, yeah. it's it's showing the troubles of alcohol consumption whilst also condemning them and, right. you know, showing, allowing you to kind of just sit with it and, and process it and kind of grieve yeah. for these characters. And I guess th- this film yeah. also has that quality in a sense. So even though the the difference with mysterious skin is even though these scenes are very matter of fact it does do some cutaways where you, you 
there's a lot of the film that gets you to fill in the, the, the blanks with your brain. Yes. And it's a very effective... It's, it's a, an effective mix of both method, methods of outwardly showing something, but also having the implications in the same scene. Mm-hmm. Does that make any sense? Am I yes. trying shit? No, no, no. no <laughs> okay. Um, so, yeah, I can understand people's worry about outwardly seeing, say, a violent scene in a film. But you also need that scene in order to talk about those issues. Yeah. That round that was roundabout. Yeah, exactly. I, I, I don't know. think, <laughs> you know, it, it's a film. A, a film can have any subject matter. It's about how it approaches that subject matter that's important. And this film, yeah. I don't think, is advocating sexual abuses. It, it frequently shows. That I, I don't. Why are people thinking this film advocates sexual abuse? So, in regards to the Australia controversy, uh, there was a group that uh, was saying that. Uh, paedophiles would watch these scenes and use them to groom people because they're just these matter-of-fact scenes right essentially but but there's been psychologists that have said if anything it will show people show people that commit these types of crimes the damages they're doing and also it gives people who wouldn't do that a warning i guess it, it gives yeah. you a, a, a sort of a real like cuz imagine if you're someone who's been through this situation first of all you would yeah. maybe watch this film and you could kind of resonate with it and that's kind of that's the point of films aren't or, they they show it to other people to understand how that how yeah. this situation may have had an effect on you exactly yeah cuz yeah. this is what films are meant to do they're kind of i think there was a quote by Roger Ebert that said films are uh, machines that generate empathy aren't they they're they're machine right. they're yeah they're devices that we can use to maybe better understand those around us and better understand ourselves. And, you know, I'm waffling at this point. I'm very tired. I'm sorry. No, it's, a, it's a great <laughs> quote, honestly. It's um, a very good quote. And he's absolutely that right. That being said, next episode is Paddington 2, The French Dispatch and Amelie. Yeah? <laughs> I was going to say, um, the, the day, the day Wait, after this is... the day after I watched this okay. film, I, I watched Wally. Just to kind of good feel better. <laughs> yeah, I, I I hadn't watched anything afterwards to soak it all up, like to scrub my brain. But I yeah, I should do that. <laughs> <laughs> Which yeah, I I don't I don't know what that is in terms of um, like there are a lot of like it's the same thing with funny games, same thing with Sproulos. Like I can watch these very disturbing films and still like them. Yet with this one, li- like it's literally as soon as the first scene happened, my brain went oh is this what's about to happen and then it does and then i'm like oh god oh i was literally physically cringing throughout the entirety of this film mm. so i don't know what it is yeah it's just i think I it's because this disturbing films. I, I, I can't do this one <laughs> i think it's because this one is more disturbing in a more sort of specific matter because you mentioned yeah, films like yeah. sprawl and funny games which tackle obviously murder and home invasion and yeah, kidnapping, kidnapping, which and, are yeah, kind of, yeah. which are kind of, I guess, equally horrible things to happen, but kind of in a sense broad, and they've been explored in films before. So maybe right. we've, as yeah. an audience, become more desensitized to them. Whereas with this, because it's such, yeah. you know, child abuse yeah. is something that happens where the victims are completely defenseless. So it's a lot more harrowing to watch, I guess, and. Right, you know, it's it's a lot, and it's just probably not talked about enough in media. Yeah, it's um, kind of it's um, kind of an awkward subject matter to tread around, isn't it? It's kind of 
yeah. you have to be very careful, I guess. Where, if I if I seem to cut you off at any oh yeah, I was about to oh. say if I seem to cut him off at any point, it's because Hello? our Wi-Fi is playing up. I'm still recording and stalling. Oh, he's coming back. Sorry, uh, you you went for a second. It's okay. Uh, oh, I'm going to blame Essex Wi-Fi for this. Um, hello, hello. We're staying on the line. Hello, hello. Um, hi. Yeah. Um, quickly jumping back is so. Um, I think, yeah. Other elements of media have desensitized us to see these things, whether as stuff like the childhood trauma and childhood abuse is not talked about enough uh, in the media. So therefore people aren't desensitized to it. Not saying people should be, but uh, like, that's probably why it, now, now that I think about it, um, you know, you, you see home invasions on, on film and TV all the time. Mm. Um, you don't see this. Um, yeah. Uh, that's all I really have to say with this film. Um, true, it true. is a good film. It like, like it, I'm just let's just give some caveats to audiences as to why should they see this? If so, why? Yeah, um, yeah. For me, uh, the performances are good. The ethereal nature around it is something to watch. Um, but then also, if it's important to have the conversation about childhood trauma, and that's a film that sparks the conversation. And from what I understand, it's meant to be his like. Best film, Gregor Aki. Oh, okay. I'm, I'm not sure. But, yeah, what about you? Why should, uh, why should audiences watch this? In a so, film? I would say, like I said at the very beginning, if you are sensitive to this particular subject matter and find it quite triggering, then I would say yeah. absolutely do not watch this film. But yeah, no, if, agree, if you're more kind of willing to watch a film with this subject matter, I would say perhaps go and see it. I think, um, aside from a few good filmmaking techniques good performances and kind of good use of music and kind of ethereal atmosphere i do think it's better as a social statement than as a feature film i think there are sure. a few things that hold it back from being truly great that being yeah. you know some of the character interactions the overall kind of pacing and narrative of it isn't overly compelling in my opinion but if you're willing to watch a film and appreciate it purely for its subject matter and are happy to for the subject matter to carry that film forward rather than other aspects of it, then I would yeah. say go and watch it. Yeah. Um, also, Matt, you, I'd just like to say you've been, you've been the camo to my mayo today. You've got me out of the water many times today, and I appreciate it. <laughs> Have right. I? Just the, oh, thank I, if, you. For me, it felt like I was like... All right. There were times where I, like, I didn't know how to... I, my point being, I didn't know how to talk about anything and you've like got me out of it i'm, I'm glad you it. feel that way because I, I wasn't sure if i felt that way i felt i feel quite tired and that i've been kind of waffling a bit but if you've if i've helped you i'm i'm very happy joe well it, i did say it was the asmr intro at the beginning so maybe you've hypnotized me so ah. it's just people yeah all right um but yeah so there are many other films or movie to check out that are of the art house in the variety these films are both on there. Um, just random recommendation off the top of my head. Hoop Dreams, if it's still on there. Um, yeah. Have you got a movie recommendation? There was one I saw the other day. Um, oh, God, oh, it was called Phoenix. It's a German film by Julian Petzold, who did Undine, yes. which we've both seen. Oh, my God. Uh, I just remembered something. Is that 
Osaka reminded me a lot of Andina, but yeah. Oh, really? Okay. No, um, there's, yeah. yeah but... A film I saw on movie recently, uh, Phoenix. It's a German post-World War II drama about a Holocaust survivor's relationship with a estranged husband. It's, it's quite a good watch. I, it's, again, quite... Yeah. It's not belly laughs. Um, it's quite a sort of chilling film, but it is, it they is do quite have good. fantastic Mr. Fox on there if you want that. If oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, Scenes with Beans as well. Also, um, My um, Life as a Courgette is on there, I think, last time I checked. Yes. Which is very yes. wholesome and lovely. I would recommend that without hesitation. Just go watch that. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Well, then, that's been us. Thank you for your patience today, guys. Not only with our upload but also if if you've had to wait for us to make the points because this one you can't just it's it, it's not like i can just be like film bad film good you know it, it, there's tax that needs to be involved i've got to choose my words very carefully oh yeah um so thank you for your patience and uh next episode we'll do sonic the hedgehog um <laughs> fast and furious 2 and fucking brother bear why not exactly <laughs> <laughs> just come, just all nice something nice I don't know <laughs> yeah <laughs> we'll, we'll figure it out yeah yeah brother bear one and two <laughs> and that's a wrap <laughs> <laughs>